Layla and I saw this at theconversation.com a few days ago and went, oh, really? Let's do it. Here's the, the title. Happy wife, happy life. A harmonious relationship is the responsibility of both partners. The author of this piece, a professor of psychology at Carleton University, her name is Cheryl Harrisonchuk. Professor Harrisonchuk, Cheryl, good morning and welcome. Hello. Thanks so much for having me. Well, it's great to have you with us. You wrote a terrific piece in theconversation.com a week or so ago entitled Happy Wife, Happy Life. A harmonious relationship is the responsibility of both partners. So already the, the very popular old adage, happy wife, happy life, is kind of shattered in the, in the title to the article, uh, assuming, therefore, that women are not necessarily the, uh, the person in the relationship most responsible for tending to it. Is that a safe assumption? Yeah, that, that was one of the, the takeaways from the research, is that it, uh, there is evidence to suggest that it is not just uh, the woman's responsibility in these mixed-gender relationships for tending and maintaining a relationship. Let's talk a little bit about the relationships and especially about the research that you and you were a part of a team of international researchers that worked on this relationship study. Tell us what, first of all, the the study involved and some of your findings. Right. Yeah. So uh, like you said, I was part of an international team of researchers led by Matthew Johnson uh, from the University of Alberta. Uh, that analyzed more than 50,000 relationship satisfaction reports to examine the validity of the saying, happy wife, happy life. And more specific, yeah, so what we did is a team of us recruited over 900 mixed-gendered couples from the community, and what we did is we tracked their relationship satisfaction on a daily basis over 21 days. And then there was another part of the team that recruited over 3,000 mixed-gendered couples and assessed them um, over five years. So that's the how we came to. And then in terms of what we found is uh, that changes in relationship satisfaction today were linked to how satisfied people felt down the road, including the next day and the next year. And then importantly, related to that saying, um, men's and women's relationship satisfaction were equally strong predictors of their own and their partner's next day and next year satisfaction. So with these relationship satisfaction reports, Cheryl, what sort of metrics were you measuring? What kind of questions and boxes to tick were the couples involved required to do? Right. So with these relationship satisfaction reports, they were all done online so we can get more participants. And uh, participants reflect on the whether or not their relationship is meeting their expectations. So the, the bar that people set is uh, for their relationship is different across relationships. And mm-hmm. as long as people felt that they were uh, meeting the bar that they set, then we consider that to be uh, a satisfying relationship. So it's just like a, a global sense of, you know, how good is my relationship? And the bottom line from all of the metrics and all of the research is that it is definitely a two-way street. There's no way that a successful relationship can be carried on by one person, is there? Right. Well, that's that's one implication, is that it really does underscore this idea of interdependence, right? It's a key part of relationships. It's a two-way street. It's back and forth. And at least in our analysis of the gender differences in these mixed-gendered couples, um, our, our results suggested that it wasn't just the case that women 
were the better predictors. Like they had some special ability that they could gauge how the relationship was going to be in the future. It was the case that both men and women um, were similarly predicted uh, or were able to similarly predict future relationship satisfaction. So at least with gender differences, uh, it's suggesting that, you know, it's the responsibility of both members of the couple. But it's not to say that there aren't relationships where some people might carry more of the load than others. It's just on average, we found. So what happens, Cheryl? What happens in, them, in a relationship when when people have hit a hit a bad patch when it's not going particularly well, and and yet there's a, a strong desire to fix it. So what sort of um, moves do people make to get that happening? Yeah, like like you said, relationships are not always great, right? There's ups and downs, yep. and it's it's really important for the couples to take stock and act on them, right? Uh, so that because if things aren't going well, they can change their relationship path if they start to do some good things or remove some bad things. So here are some of like, the good things you could do. Um, you know, you can make sure that you express gratitude in your relationship. Mm. If you have some good news, make sure to contact your partner or maybe try something new and exciting with them. And then in terms of what you can avoid doing, you know, avoid dropping the ball and offering support. Avoid escalating conflict um, and uh, like things like name calling and that sort of thing. So like, there's a whole field of relationship scientists that study all the good things that we can do to maintain happy, happy relationships. And then I guess the, the work that I was a, a team member on gets at this idea that, you know, it's, relationship satisfaction goes up and down. And it's important to take stock because what's happening today can affect what's happening in your future. Indeed. Uh, we're, we're facing some pretty trying economic times these days, Cheryl, and we know from an abundance of evidence and a 50 percent divorce rate that finances tend to really grind on a lot of relationships. To those people in relationships these days struggling financially, which does, does tend to erode the happiness factor, even on a good day. What sort of advice would you pass along to get through these times together? Right. Yes. So a big thing when people assess how happy they are in their relationship is their expectations and the bar they set. So sometimes, you know, people are ready and they are able to add more good things to their relationship, you know, like go on an exciting trip together. Mm-hmm. But this is not the norm for everybody, right? Like, there are tough times. And so one quick bit of advice is to just ex- adjust your expectations. Like, maybe it's okay just to be comfortable and do familiar things and, 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 and just, you know, keep things going in your relationship rather than aiming for, aiming for those more exciting experiences that potentially could bring you more happiness, but you might not be in the place uh, to to have the energy and the time and the money to do those things. Interesting. Not a lot of time left here, Cheryl, but I, I'd, like, I'd like to ask you about age, demographics. Are, are most of the relationships, most of the couples that you and your team studied in this, in this exhaustive survey, were they younger people or were they right across the demographic spectrum? They were right across the, the, uh, the demographic uh, demographic spectrum. So this is one of the nice things about this project is that we weren't just let's say, recruiting uh, people in university that were in, yeah. you know, the, these new shiny relationships. Yeah. We went out to the community and we had people from um, all walks of life, all different ages uh, participate in, in our study. 
And did you find anything measurable in terms of the longer you're together, the easier it gets? It's, it's not, and there's nothing that easy about it, is there? Right. Relationships are hard things. Um, and in this particular study, that wasn't our focus, to look at this idea um, that, that, you know, things get a little easier over time after you, you practice. But, but in other research, uh, if couples do manage to stay together, you know, they have worked out patterns and ways of perhaps de-escalating uh, conflict. So the, the people that we see that have been together, let's say, 30, 40 years, uh, they were the ones successful at navigating and working through some of those challenges. And, and, the, and the people that were using some other strategies, well, they, they might not quite make it that long. Interesting. So is it pretty safe to say, and I'm again, I'm looking at the article you wrote at theconversation.com, that that old ad, adage, happy wife, happy life, should be more appropriately adjusted to read happy spouse, happy house? That's correct. Yes, this, this fits with the idea that the relationships are a two-way street and it's a shared responsibility. So that, that I, I think that's the more appropriate thing now. Well, it's an interesting finding that you've, you've reached, and we do very much appreciate your taking a few moments to share it with us today. Thanks ever so much, Cheryl. Good to have you on the program. I'd like the opportunity to speak to you again. Well, thank you very much. I'd love that. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. <laughs> and Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.